Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host. Joel Cheeseman, joined as always with my fearless co-host, Chad Sowash. Well, hello. And today, we are happy to welcome Matthew Stevenson, Matthew. fairly newly minted CEO of Matthew. Snagajob. <laughs> Matthew, welcome Matthew. to the show, man. It's a good friend, Jackson. I like it. Bless yeah, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. First off, Fabio Rosati has to be one of the coolest names ever. We've mm. actually ma- mentioned it on yeah, the do podcast. Do you have, to have a cool name to, to lead <laughs> Snag a Job? Is that one of the that's prerequisites? Right. That's, a, that's, a, that's a prerequisite. Excellent. Well, give us a little, a little bit about you, man. You know, per- personally, I'm uh, half French, half American. Grew up overseas as a kid and came back to the, to the U.S. And then uh, today I'm married. Wife, uh, wife is Australian who I actually met in Dubai. And I've got Jeez. three little kids. Get around. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've been a few places over the years, and then professionally, I basically spent the first half of my career at a consulting firm called McKinsey, and then left to go do a quasi startup called HomeAway, which is now part of Expedia called VRBO. Uh huh. And then just fell in love with sort of technology and marketplaces, and then uh, got introduced to Snag a Job through a a friend who knew. Fabio Rosati, who's now our, our executive chairman. Mm-hmm. And when I sort of heard about the mission and the vision for the company, I remember getting off the phone. I was supposed to talk to Fabio for 30 minutes. We talked for an hour and a half. I got off the phone and told my wife, even though I'd promised her we wouldn't leave Texas and just said, like, <laughs> we've got to go do this. So that was uh, that was two, two years ago. I think I joined, Oops. I guess, a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. Yep. So first question, uh, before we get to snag a job, uh, lucky you, you joined the company that services hourly workers and this uh, meteorite called COVID hits the world. Mm. Uh, what's, what's, what was that like? What's the current state of hourly work and sort of what's your near future view of, of what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. As you, as you can imagine, I think different from maybe, you know, the Great Recession, this time around, I think hourly work was the hardest to get hit and hit first. And I think is also, as we're now seeing the first to reemerge, mm-hmm. but um, you know, overall it's sort of the trough, like hourly jobs were down 50%. They've now since recovered. So they're down about 34% year over year. We really just had this fundamental shift in sort of labor across sectors, right? Like, you know, retail, restaurant, hospitality, incredibly hard hit. Mm-hmm. And sectors like grocery, warehousing, and even sort of on-demand or gig that have really grown in upwards of you know forty percent or more just since the beginning of March. Yeah. So, what's the future look like? Well, I think I think we're already starting to see the signs in my mind of a, a pretty strong U-shaped recovery. You know, very similar to I think what we've been seeing in China. If you think about China as being sort of a proxy, a couple months out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just since the beginning of June, jobs are up more than 11%, uh, 88% of, of our clients of firms who typically sort of hire over the summer are still planning on doing so. You know, we've seen a number of sort of our core clients in restaurant and retail who've now started to rehire again. And even if you think about like activity levels in our ATS, those are actually now back to pre-crisis levels. Wow. Um, and so I think we're seeing a number of things that say, 
hey, this is pretty encouraging, long way to go, Mm -hmm. uh, but pretty encouraging in terms of the rebound for hourly. So talk about rebound. You guys actually put out, you put out Mm -hmm. this, this, this new, is it, is it like a suite? What is it? First and foremost, we saw it come out and I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. And then we haven't heard anything about it since then. Number one. And number two, I go to the website and I hit employers and I would expect this like big glossy rebound to pop out and smack me in the face, but I I couldn't find it anywhere. So tell me if, was this kind of like a a flash in the pan kind of a thing that you're talking about rebound? Is it a suite of services? Is it something that you guys are going to carry forward? What's it all about? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is, it's, it's basically a solution made up of, of three different services. It's in sort of recognition that even though you're seeing this economic recovery and this U-shaped recovery, in my mind, there's sort of like three things that employers are trying to navigate. One is just the fundamental like scale of the rehiring, right? There, there are an awful lot of companies that are rehiring, you know, almost entire companies or entire staff. And the challenge is in an environment where you're having to use a phased rehiring approach, you know, how do you even re-engage or continue to engage your furloughed workers who you can't rehire back immediately? Two, probably the biggest thing that I continue to hear is just around the uncertainty and demand, right? It's easy for me to say, oh, well, we're following a China-like recovery curve. Yeah. If you're a local operator, you you're just trying to navigate like, how, how do I like, what's the right staffing level? Cause if I get that wrong, I have a huge like cost overhang. So that uncertainty and demand is, is a huge one. And then the last one is the one that I think, I think people, you know, talk about a lot, which is just the, the sort of safety concerns, both on the part of workers and employers and how that influences sort of the hiring process. And so in our mind, we tried to say, okay, how do we solve those? And it's not, it's not necessarily just a June thing, right? I mean, it's something that people are going to be navigating for the next six months. Yes. Um, So one, we launched um, a new offering called Talent Pools, which basically says, how do you enable employers to pick up shifts or to fill shifts almost on demand, right? Like last minute, you realize you've got more demand than you expected. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you fill a shift? This allows them to basically tap into existing employees furloughed an, an alumni, as well as sort of a snag a job qualified worker pool okay. to where, you know, you, you say, okay, I don't have to rehire everybody. I can assess things. And when I have a demand, let me just go and fill it to sort of pre-built hiring campaigns. So again, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, like markets are going to reopen at different stages and you're going to see recovery in, in different ways. Go ahead and just pre-build your your campaigns, meaning I've got 10 different kinds of roles I want to hire across 20 markets. And basically, as you see the need, you just flip the switch for those roles in the markets that you need. So you really do hire when and where you want. So much more sort of targeted. Gotcha. So from a scaling standpoint, I mean, that that's where I think we overall, whether it's high volume or even if it's enterprise, nobody saw COVID coming. I got yeah. slapped in the face with it. You know, obviously employee levels are down dramatically, but yet that's going to snap back. So therefore we have to understand scale better. And the only way we can scale better is through technology. So my, my question to you about the talent yeah. pools piece, is that kind of like an, an, is this an, an app where, uh, you know, I can just, if, 
if I'm at a restaurant and I'm a manager and I know that I need people, I can pull it out and I can start to to add jobs into it. How does it how does that actually work in a practical sense for the person on the ground? Yeah. So so we had sort of a permutation of it really over the last uh, 18 months or so. And and there it was basically an app. So let's say you're let's say you're a restaurant manager and your dishwasher calls in sick or you know, you just have a scheduling gap. You'd go on the app, you'd basically tap like dishwasher on your phone and we match you to a qualified dishwasher who shows up. So it is, it is on demand in the truest sense, just like getting an Uber driver. You don't review resumes, you trust sort of our algorithms and our qualification yeah. that the right person is going to show up. And, and about 95% of the time, if you think about like from, from the customer satisfaction scores, we get that right. Really now the sort of talent pools is just saying like, hey, we recognize in some cases you want to do that with your existing employees or with your alumni or furloughed employees. That's incredibly valuable as a way to sort of keep them engaged with your brand um, now, but also going forward, right? Even post rebound, like I think it's just a different way to think about how you manage and engage talent. So I want to add some some context to how we got here. And yeah. you know, Chad and I have been been in the industry for a long time. You a much shorter period. But right. Snag a Job, Snag a Job used to be sort of this unsung hero in the hourly space. We talked about, you know, Monster and Indeed, but but things seemed to be really chugging along nicely. Mm-hmm. And then 2018 hit. Yep. CEO Peter Harrison, who a lot of people knew, was was gone. They launched uh, Snag.co, which was an app, sort of a um, a platform like an Upwork or whatnot. Um, and then Fabio comes in who has Upwork experience. Mm-hmm. And then you come in and, and I think Chad and I thought, well, you know, they're going to reset or try to figure it out. And then the news comes out, you guys raise $8 million um, and you come on. And I think we were kind of thrown back like, holy shit, like, is this a, re- is this a renewal or is this is back What's to going life? On? What's going on? <laughs> so, so my question is uh, in light of the context you have $8 million now. Looks like you're going to grow the company. Um, curious about Brian Schmidt, who's on as your mm-hmm. chief revenue officer. Uh, he has TripAdvisor experience and he was at Google, I believe. That's right. Um, so so what $8 million, new CEO, like what's the plan? What's going to bring uh, this company back to life? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe if, maybe I'll address the, the 2018. And again, hindsight's 2020 on these things. And it predates me. My sense is, you know, when you're a couple hundred person organization, focus is important. And I think, you know, my sort of reflection is, you know, Peter and others, incredibly smart individuals, but we were probably trying to do too much relative to the size of the business. And so part of if, part of what Fabio really sort of stepped in to try and do was to say, hey, really sort of what is the focus for the company? What are our, what are our core businesses like? Where do we invest? Um, and then the second, which was the reality of the situation in 2018, is frankly we had a cost structure that we couldn't support even in a even in a high growth environment. Um, and so there was there was a pretty powerful reckoning in 2018, right? There's no way to sort of sugarcoat that. Um, but I think I think now I think you'd say you know and really credit goes to Fabio, right? And, and Upwork is is a pretty like relevant analogy for I think what we are trying to create. Right, we've got two core businesses. One is the marketplace, right? The snagajob.com that you know grew up in the 2000s, and then the software business, right? Which is which is a couple of ATSs. Um, and for the marketplace, like for us, it is really becoming a true on-demand marketplace for full-time, part-time, and gig-based shift work, very much akin to an Upwork model, meaning 
you know, you as a worker, you have a profile. Just this week, actually, we're launching public profiles. So now hourly workers will have a public profile akin to like what you or I might have via LinkedIn, but much more specific to hourly. And that enables you in some sense to like market yourself in a way that you've never been able to do. And for you to be able to receive right fit opportunities just as much as you sort of seek them out in the traditional like job board. Sort of a LinkedIn for the hourly workforce. That's right. That's right. Because if you think about it, like this is, this is where it's really different to you know, my experience of like a home away. You know, when you're looking for a job, whether you're passive or active, there's not a lot of serendipity in the search, right? Like nobody enjoys looking through 50 jobs. It's not like looking at a vacation house that you're interested in. Hey, that's a wild Friday night in my house. I don't know about, <laughs> about you. Sad, sadly, I probably do enjoy it, but <laughs> you'd, hope, you'd hope that'd be the case. You guys for are me. lame. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, but for me, for me, the opportunity has always been like, how do we put people in the right fit roles? Like using the profiles you're now able to better link people to through true like machine learning to be able to say, Hey, here's really what we think are the best roles. And, you know, we, we now surface the five best roles for you. And by the way, two of those might just be invitations to go ahead and interview, right? Cause again, that's, that's incredibly powerful for somebody. Um, and so it's a much more akin to what Upwork has done, but in our case, in what is what is at the end of the day lightly skilled labor, you technology can actually play a much greater role in automating it. Just like we do on the gig-based shift side, where literally there's no human interaction, mm-hmm. you could today do that on the full-time hiring side. I don't think the market is ready to completely eliminate the interview, but I'm actually pretty confident we've been we've been using sort of a hybrid AI cognitive games-based solution to do candidate assessment on top of somebody's sort of profile data. You can get it just as right as as even a professional recruiter. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. So for those companies that are out there today who are kind of hesitant because they're afraid of texting, Mm -hmm. what do you have to say to them? Get with the program. People are texting these days. Uh, you know, I, I will say that I'm in a different generation, a different point in my career. That I agree, I would be hesitant. But there are obviously millions and millions of people that are in that demographic that want to receive them. So it's again, know your audience and be able to deliver a message to your audience the way they want to receive it. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. When it comes to when it comes to tech and it comes to high volume or blue collar, I mean wh- whatever segment you want to try to yeah. try to try to own, process is everything for these smaller organizations, right? You have obviously larger organizations, but some of them might be franchised, and you're still you're still sure. looking at something that's really not an enterprise overall from a process methodology standpoint. So from Snag's standpoint, if I'm if if I'm a small franchise owner or just maybe blue collar looking for construction worker. Can I do, what does end to end look like with your app? Yeah. So, so think about it. Like, let's say you're a store manager of any kind, independent right. business, franchise, okay. et cetera. Let's say, uh, making up, you own a coffee shop and you need a barista. 
Well, today, th- think about it, the way it works, right? Like you put this like job description out there, you see what sort of comes through. In a lot of ways, like in my mind, we've sort of digitized the offline process. And I think over time, we've continued to automate. Well, the problem is I think we tried to digitize the offline process exactly the way the offline process was, which is why it sucked so badly. That's right. So, I mean, what are you guys doing to make sure that, because th- those these positions need filled today or tomorrow. That's right. So what are you guys doing to be able to facilitate that whole thing? Yeah. So, so think about it. And this, this we will launch later this year. We call it sort of like our top three candidate experience. But let's say you need to hire a barista. You sort of toggle as opposed to now saying, hey, post this job description. You have an opportunity to just say, well, what are the three best baristas or the three like top fit baristas for me? And let me just go ahead and invite them to interview. Or if you feel confident enough in our algorithms, like go ahead and make them an insta offer. And and that for me is a very, very different approach. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, if you're if you're looking at, let's say for instance, some of these positions requirements are very simply, I think, check boxes. And if you can yeah. check all the boxes, then why even? And I think this is what you're talking about, why even go through the interview? So the question is. Do you believe that most of the industry today is actually moving toward, especially on this high volume side, moving toward no interviews? Just do you meet meet the requirements? Can you show up? Can you do this? Is that what you you believe or that's what you're feeling and seeing? Or is that what you're just pushing for and hoping for? Yeah, probably somewhere in between. Like I, I, um, I think of it in two parts. Like one is the elimination of the concept of just the application. And I just fundamentally believe a worker's profile should replace the application, right? And, and there's some complexity around like how you integrate with different ATSs, et cetera, to enable that on the enterprise and mid-market side. On the interview, again, we, we see it on the gig-based shift side of the business that in combination with the data that you have in somebody's profile, and we layer on, again, I would call it like an attitudinal assessment, which is sort of hybrid of, of using AI plus cognitive games uh-huh. that you can assess like dependability, ability to work in teams, et cetera. That ability, like I think that can absolutely replace the interview. And I think that's actually transformative for obviously the employer. There's a real mm-hmm. opportunity cost, but even more meaningfully on the hourly worker, right? If you think about like the opportunity cost for them to go to an interview for the vast majority who are relying on things like public transportation, you're talking about two hours of time, but actually a hard cost of like having to take the bus, having to find somebody to take care of your child. Like that's a meaningful, meaningful cost to frankly, a segment of the population that can't afford it. Right. You currently have a, a on Glassdoor, a 62% rating um, as a CEO. Uh, curious, is that something that you look at uh, or are you concerned about it? Um, it is only eight eight ratings or eight people that have chimed in, um, but I'm yeah. curious how important that is to you, if at all. Um, and if it is, what, what will you be doing internally to sort of get that number back up to the 80s, 90s, if, if possible? I, honestly, as a first-time CEO, I'm, I'm probably trying to figure out like how uh, how should I be thinking about that. I'd say probably a couple thoughts. Like one, you have to have a certain amount of conviction around what you're doing and where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Glassdoor and anything you do in terms of employee surveys are really valuable just to candidly like identify blind spots that you may have. And so I, I do I do read them to understand, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, like some of the decisions that we had to make, particularly in March and April, as it related to COVID, because we were very quick to take action. You know, I think I think some people would say we're unpopular. Yeah, they 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 for sure weren't popular, right? Uh, do I believe that they were the right decisions to ensure that the business could weather the storm? Hundred percent, unfortunately. Let's take a look at you're talking about the sugar coating before. Yeah. And I, I see a, a part of that sugarcoating being snag.co. There's this big brand that's launched, new colors, new URL. Mm. Uh, and there's like this brand whiplash that happens because no, it wasn't announced, but it's obvious that you know snag.co got kicked to the curb. Now there's a brand whiplash for not as much, I don't think, it, the market as there is, there is the employees, right? Mm-hmm. You had Peter... You had uh, you had Fabio come in, then you had you know obviously you come in with the marketing background. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that decision? Because from an employee standpoint, purpose means everything. And when we hear this new big brand new purpose, blah blah blah, you get all excited, and then it's like the whiplash happens because it's all gone, right? So tell us a little bit about that. How did you manage that? Was it really a big deal or or not? You just transitioned right back into into snag a job very easily. Yeah, um, yeah. I wish I could say it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. I, I think actually <laughs> on balance, on balance, I think it was very well received by the organization. Like here, here's my sort of reflection on it because it it was something that um, that we did relatively early in my tenure. Is you know I, I can understand sort of the reasons why. A year previous, somebody would have said, hey, you know, even though Snack a Job has a lot of equity in the marketplace, like there's value in a different name because the word Snack a Job can in some way be limiting, right? Right. And so you might say, hey, a name like a Snag or whatever else provides you more optionality around like where you take the company going forward. I think that the challenge is like in any rebrand, not even specific to Snag a Job, like there are a few things like you really have to invest to make it successful. My sort of reflection is we sort of were somewhere in the middle. Like we were still snag a job to consumers. Right. We were a snag to employers. Snag.co. We didn't actually even own the rights to snag.com. <laughs> um, and it, Minor detail. And so you just looked at it and you said like, hey, you know, being stuck in the middle, sort of like the absolute worst case scenario here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a CMO, how did that make you feel? Because I, I mean, being, you know, a, a big brand like snag and then not being able to snag the dot com, it, it was, it, it was, it was cool that there was a new brand coming out, but not so cool that you couldn't really play on top tier. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, just, just think about it. Like practically like our social handles were like snag and so we would communicate with workers via Snag, which was a name that they had literally never heard of. Yeah. Right. Because they know Snag as snagajob.com, mm-hmm. which was still yeah. the consumer site. So it was creating, like, frankly, a fair amount of confusion and complexity. Mm-hmm. And so when we looked at it, you said, like, okay, well, I got two paths. Like, one, I double down and invest in Snag, or I roll back to snagajob.com. Mm-hmm. My view was like, we didn't have rights to snag.com. Snag.co had, call it like some challenges uh, with it. And to do it right was going to be an expensive proposition. And so I just said like, listen, like, I, I don't think it's the right use of several million dollars of company's money to really try and make snag work when I've got a brand, frankly, 
that has a ton of equity in the market and doesn't necessarily have some of the negative associations that actually snag as a word does. So when we actually did research, it actually didn't come out very favorably. So we just said like, you know what, like this is, this is not the right time and place. Like the best thing for us is to go back to what has, you know, served us well for the last, you know, two decades. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to let you out on this one. We covered a, a story this past week about uh, employers having, you know, uh, employee employees sign NDAs or agreements mm-hmm. that if they get if they get co- the coronavirus, they're not going to sue the company. Um, just curious, your thoughts on how are companies that employ a lot of hourly workers, seasonal folks, etc., going to evolve in this new uh, arena, and how is it going to affect hiring? And does it increase sort of the uh, uh, the acceptance revolution of automation replacing hourly workers if they're such a pain in the ass for so many companies. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, from a hiring process standpoint, you're seeing everybody move in the direction of a virtual hiring. Again, for a lot of reasons, like I actually mm-hmm. think the coronavirus is a catalyst for good. I actually think net net that is, that is a real benefit just for all the reasons we talked about in terms of opportunity cost. Um, in terms of adapting, you know, I, I will say I've been pretty proud of, you know, the employers that we've been talking with about just how much they care about workplace safety and how they're evolving every element of their operating model to ensure workplace safety mm-hmm. um, around like, does it drive long-term automation? Maybe. I, I think, you know, I think certain sectors of the economy, we are likely to see that over the next 10 to 20 years. So it may be more of an accelerant of a trend that we would likely have seen. Yeah, but again, I, I think even in you know some retailers now, as an example, are moving to more sort of smaller footprint stores. Just recognizing as an example, like e-commerce is now again not a new trend, but has been accelerated. They still need the stores. They're now saying, okay, I need fewer employees per store, but actually now it's actually even more important that I have the right fit employees because they're even more an ambassador of my brand than they were before. So I'm going to three or four employees as opposed to eight or nine per store, but they they need to really showcase the brand and be the right fit. So last question from me, Matt, yeah. Matt, not you. Um, <laughs> we have Indeed acquired Sift. We've heard nothing from them since then. Uber yeah. work, it, Uber work is pretty much dead. Uh, Zip took a huge hit, and again, we're talking about m- these are all platforms that are really focused on the SMB uh, and also more that high volume space, kind of like the, the snag a job space. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see this as you know this is a good thing because competitors are getting smacked around, or I mean, is this market validation that maybe this is a hell of a lot harder than everybody thinks it is? Um, it's probably a little bit of both, right? Like I, I think on all the gig based in the gig based shift side which there's been what a quarter billion dollars of investment over the last two years uh-huh. like this is forcing a reckoning right and you're 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 gonna have a number of companies that i think the last few months just are going to be unable to make it i was i was actually surprised uber work was actually the first they certainly won't be the last yeah and the and the truth of it, of it is and even this is what we're seeing like smb um is not recovering as quickly as mid-market and enterprise and you can imagine why right they just aren't like capitalized as well um, and so, again, for, for me, it's a reflection of, you know, one, probably needing sort of thinning of, of sort of the competitive landscape, if you want to think about it that way. And the other, like, yeah, it's not as easy as it appears 
on the outset, right? The economics, you got to make sure that you, you have those right. And, you know, I think if, if we learn something from 2018, it's, yeah, even when you're in a growth stage as a company, you still have to have a sustainable cost structure. And folks who may not have had that as they entered March, that was a really tough spot to be in. I think we were really fortunate that we did and that we had investors that were committed to the business and, and continue to invest in us. Very Excellent. nice. Matthew Stevenson, everybody, CEO of Naga Job. Matthew, for our listeners who want to know more about you and the company, where do they go? Uh, head, head over to snagajob.com. Fair enough. Chad? Excellent. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Great work. We out. Hi, I'm Emma. Thanks for listening to my dad, the Chad, and his buddy Cheese. This has been the Chad and Cheese podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Be sure to check out our sponsors because their money goes to my college fund. For more, visit chadcheese.com. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.